This is the moment we've been waiting for. A time in human history where exponential technologies have rendered the world more virtually connected, more empowered, and more informed than ever before. Yet, we're still suffering. A lot. So how do we make the most of our modern tools to amplify and connect with what truly matters? To light the way, I've asked some friends to join us around the proverbial fire to share stories of discovering their purpose hidden within life's winding path and to explore the future we really want. Let's meet where community, technology, and ancient wisdom converge. David, David Sheckman, thank you so much for joining me today on Path and Purpose. I am thrilled to be able to offer some of our conversation up to a wider audience because we've been speaking now for about six months about various topics from a leadership and executive coaching perspective in our now COVID and up soon post-COVID world. So today, what I would love for us to dive into is this notion of transcendence in our global moment, and particularly through the lens of leadership in corporation, in business, and also personally from your perspective as a coach and as a, as a man and, and person on the earth right now, where are we, where are we heading? What purpose are we following right now? What's the path people are taking? What path are you taking? Um, so we've got some questions, but just wanna say, Thank you for joining us. Yes, Rose, thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here. I've enjoyed our conversations, our kind of renegade conversations to this point, and I'm very excited for this step on the journey. Awesome. Well, you know what? Um, for the spirit of this conversation, I want to dive in right away at something that I've heard you mention, which is what does it mean when, when you say that we're all or many of us are doing yoga in a plane falling from the sky. Yes. All right. Thank you. Let's just get people's attention right away with that one. So what I have to first admit is that I have become a bit of a fan of cranky old man humor. And so one of my favorite comedians is a guy named Mark Marin. And during the 2016 presidential election, I remember seeing some stand-up by Mark Maron. I thankfully was able to see it live, living here in LA, and saw him talk about uh, the at the time the Trump candidacy. And I don't want to get into a big political discussion necessarily, but you know, at the time it was sort of a shocking event, and to be in a you know a LA crowd talking about politics, everyone was pretty much on one side of that. And he said his joke was. Uh, yeah, when I talk to people about uh, what's happening here, Trump being a candidate for office, a serious candidate for office, uh, they say, uh, yeah, it's strange, but my yoga practice is going pretty well. <laughs> so I thought uh, that that joke always stuck with me. And mm -hmm. I thought about some of these sort of, now that's subtle humor, right? It's not necessarily something that's taking a dig at anyone, except for actually the person doing yoga during what a lot of people, maybe most people, it's hard to say, I don't know who's listening to the show, but might say was a big challenge at the very least for the company and maybe for the country and then maybe the world. And so what I like to really do is think about the world 
from multiple perspectives at the same time. In the executive coaching work that I do, uh, I and my colleagues at my firm Evolution use a model called I, we, it on a regular basis to look at challenging situations. So that suggests that when we're looking at a person running for office who's disturbing and, and concerning on a number of levels, there are issues related to me. How do I feel about it? How do I manage my news consumption, my self-care, et cetera? There's also a sense of we, our culture, our shared togetherness in this country. What do we do as a collective in terms of our thoughts, feelings, beliefs? And then there's also an it, which is the structures that bind us together, our laws, our policies, procedures, uh, et cetera, the way that we do certain things and the functionality of it. And so I think there are a lot of people who are very focused on I, on how I'm feeling, how my uh, diet plan is uh, proceeding, how my personal experiences are playing out, maybe how my bank account looks in the moment, while the we aspects of our collective situation are not good and the it aspects are maybe not only dysfunctional but potentially harmful so we're in this situation right now where i think a lot of people i know i'm not in a terrible situation during an awful pandemic where you know this just unthinkable number of people have been infected and unthinkable number of people have passed away and folks are suffering and i'm doing pretty well by certainly by relative standards in a lot of ways, but I don't want to allow my focus on myself and my situation, and certainly the focus of a number of people who are doing pretty well, thriving, um, and, and making meaningful contributions to allow us to overlook the fact that in a lot of different ways of looking at this, we are in trouble. Right. And okay. Well, yes. Right, right, right there, David, because this. Of course, the challenges that we're facing right now are really timely from, I would say, yes, one of them from a health perspective, people getting sick with this virus and so much mystery around the virus and various strains and how to be responsible in it. Then there's work changes, working remotely, needing to manage connection with a team as well as somehow stay inspired while you do literally everything from your home, unless you are you know, in a position where you need to be a frontline worker and you need to continue showing up to your space of work, whatever that is. Um, honestly, I think one thing that's coming to mind and, and really I'm staying close to that word transcendence. Has there ever been a time in history that you know of, or even that you've seen in the last 20 years in your work where the plane wasn't falling from the sky. Like, does that exist? Or do we have some idea in our mind of where we should be getting to when really the nature of reality is a human species on a planet flying through space is essentially being subject to falling in the sky in an orbit? You know, that's a great question, Rose. I appreciate it. And in addition to uh, other things that I studied that uh, didn't help me professionally when I was younger, uh, I also did study history. I have a 
Uh, I think it's a minor. I can't even remember at this point, maybe a double major, a minor in history. And so I tend to look at things from a big picture. I like to do that. And I agree that there is a cyclicality uh, to these experiences. And, and even the ones that we're in right now, uh, mirror times in the past where things got out of balance uh, or out of proportion somehow with each other. So I think it would be uh, you know, crazy on my part or just unhelpful to suggest that some of the challenges and sufferings that we're having now are you know, historically unprecedented. But I do think we are, um, at least I, I think, I believe and I hope, nearing the end of a particular period of time in which the suffering and the challenges that are occurring right now to a large number of people, at least in our culture, my broad culture that I think of, um, are, are particularly challenging and, and, and difficult. And let me give you an example of this because I don't want to just speak in kind of general terms. So I, as, as we've been talking about, work as an executive coach and deal with people who are um, uh, very often in uh, high-risk, uh, fast-paced entrepreneurial environments. So I have a client who I talked to last week, and I think we connected about uh, midweek, and I'm going to be you know, very careful not to reveal any identifying information, uh, but she shared with me uh, that in the first part of last week, so we were talking two days after, uh, she woke up at the normal time on Monday and could not get out of bed. Not because she was physically sore, not because she had... Uh, an illness or anything that uh, was was preventing her from literally using her body to get out of bed, but because she was so burned out and just deflated by what was on her calendar that week and, and the things that she had to do Monday at work, that she was immobilized. And that's Monday, right? Like, <laughs> I know I felt that way on Wednesday or Thursday and Friday a few times where the, the week had gotten to me and just the cascading, you know, levels of intensity and expectation were so great. This is Monday. And so that's a challenge. And literally later that day, I was uh, uh, on social media and 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 uh, actually looking for something in particular and came across, and maybe other folks have seen this too, an internal survey from Goldman Sachs that was leaked and put out in, in the press that was showing the results of, uh, I think it was uh, some sort of survey done in the last few months uh, about really employee satisfaction. And it was galling to read what people were writing. It, it could have been lifted from my conversation with my client and people saying, I no longer fear unemployment. Anything is better than this. I'm working 20 hours a day, 20 hours a day. And I feel like it's not enough. And, and I don't want to act like people who are in the 1% uh, uh, in a lot of different ways, uh, are necessarily, you know, uh, some, some oppressed class, but that is a really awful way to live. And, and, and I know from coaching uh, many folks, uh, like the client I was talking about and other folks who are in similar situations, that that's not sustainable. And that does not feel like 
uh, the highest and best use of skill, talent, and ability in the workplace is to be operating in an environment of always on, never enough, uh, and, and just unsustainable misery. Okay, let's pause there. Unsustainable misery. Okay, first of all, I just feel really sad hearing about that client and, and then the results of this survey. I'm not extraordinarily surprised. Um, with this pain and, you know, so many of us right now, and I, I am imagining people who would be listening to a podcast like this, people who are in technology or people who are in fields that are really a part of that advancing the future edge of things, but also interested in personal development, also interested and aware of the power of community and some kind, some way of staying connected to a source of wisdom, which in my experience is really just a very messy discipline. It's a constant course correcting um, relationship with myself. It's like, okay, I haven't meditated in a week. I need to get back on my cushion. I need to sit down and just stop. I just need to let everything settle so that I can actually let what's important and priority rise to the top. I'm thinking about people who are in the place of that miserable suffering, um, feeling overwhelmed. I'm actually thinking at times, I know my father has really dealt with intense overwhelm. He runs an architectural firm and my whole life has just, I've seen him try to balance that. And the, the sadness that it put, he loves architecture, but he's not like the most innate businessman. You've got so many people right now who are being asked to reshuffle how they've done their work as well. Like I'm imagining 20 hours, when you're doing 20 hours a day of work at home on a computer, that's a very also different experience than when you're in a place, a workplace environment where you're able to have fleshy relationships and collaborative spirit and shift the literally just what you're seeing around you and experience some of, for me, what are the simple pleasures of life. And frankly, what I'm so, so, so grateful for in my experience during COVID, as I went through an enormous shift in my life and I did go on unemployment for a period of time, I was able to experience the pleasure of sitting on a chair and reading a book in the middle of the day or what it felt like just to be completely present to Los Angeles, California, when there isn't so much traffic and there yeah. isn't so much noise and the, the skies are clearer. And it's just, there, there really have been some gifts to me. And I know that we've got questions, again, coming back to that technology and our future um, trajectory as a planet. We are considering concepts, especially in the face of AI, like universal basic income. Is there gonna be some kind of threshold we pass through where now we're alleviated from all of this strife? Or should leaders that would be tuning into something like this or leaders you work with, do you, what's your advice, David? Like, how do we deal with this miserable reality and Zoom fatigue or what teams or whatever you're using to run your international business. I don't know, what do you say to this miserable suffering? 
Yeah, well, um, so first of all, uh, one of my favorite pastimes is to mix metaphors. Uh, so uh, I'm going to do some of that here and uh, explaining all of this to you. Uh, so just giving you and everyone else a uh, fair warning on that. Um, you know, uh, there are no, so, so I, I, I was just about to say there are no easy answers, but uh, what I actually mean is there's no single perspective solution to that. So this is what I was saying about yoga on a plane going down and dropping from the sky is when I'm talking and I'm not trying to talk myself out of coaching work, but as I'm uh, thinking back to that client story I shared just a moment ago, I'm on uh, a call with uh, this client and she's sharing with me this story. And, you know, I'm feeling some heartbreak and sadness on her behalf. Uh, I've been there in my own way. And I've, I've you know, was thinking about just how tough that is. But what, you know, what what's the solution? Uh, I mean, I can help her maybe mitigate some of the challenges and process her feelings through the experience. But from an I perspective, just focusing on her, I think there are limits to what I can do. So, uh, you know, like I can really help her going back to the metaphor of yoga, I really help her be limber, focus on breathing, and feel a sense of personal empowerment, but the plane's still going to crash. So, uh, so is that is that all that helpful? No, th there is something about her situation that's bigger than just what a personal choice can solve or address. There's a collective need for her, whether it's through an organization or the organization that she works with, or a band of professionals across organizations or industries who are dealing with the same sort of issue. And then there are certainly rules, procedures, process, expectations, uh, maybe even laws that can be addressed to uh, mitigate and, and, and maybe make sustainable these situations that that are currently playing out. So, so here, I'm, I, I'm, let me say one more thing. I'm going to mix a metaphor again here, and I'm going to do a, a commit an absolute cardinal sin because it's going to be a sports one, right? Like I should not be doing that in, <laughs> in this era, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm a I'm a, a football fan, American football fan. I really do enjoy the sport, um, but I, as well as many other, I think you know, conscious and aware people have been worried in the last decade about, you know, brain trauma and, and concussions and all of these sorts of things. Well, 10 years ago, how did the largest football league in the world, the National Football League, deal with these sorts of traumas? You know, sort of the big tobacco approach of decades past of just like, that's horrible, it shouldn't be happening, but it's got nothing to do with us and nobody can medically prove it. So what happened? You just keep arming these giant gladiator warrior types to go out and hit each other with even stronger body armor, so to speak. And it got worse and worse and worse until finally the dots were connected and we no longer were talking about the behaviors of one or two individuals or people who ended up you know, on a highlight reel, doing something that led to a, you know, life, a career ending, maybe life shortening play on the field. And we started to say, this is not just about personal choice. This is not just about what one player is going to do in the moment. This is about a culture. 
We need to have a culture of safety. We need to talk about this. We need to publicize solutions. We need to let people know that Bounty Gate and all these other targeting schemes from the past that football fans will know what I mean by that are not okay. You cannot go out and try to maim people on the field, even if it's a legal hit. Then there were a series of rule changes, some of which have worked really well, some of which maybe haven't. But the recognition is it's about the individuals making decisions. It's about the culture and shared expectations we have of each other. And it's also about the laws, rules, and regulations that we choose to adopt and live by that can help us deal with this situation. And I think people are getting tr get in trouble when they over-focus on one and ignore the other aspects of it. So we're in a situation right now with my client and with countless other people who are in situations where they're being told that they've got to find a personal solution to some sort of issue that's out there, or it could be a different one of those dimensions that it's all about that one. And I just don't think it can be reduced to one thing. It's got to be a bigger picture approach. And my client needs a community to support her. My client needs some sort of rule, process, procedure in place that rewards and incentivizes, incentivizes behaviors that actually do work and don't destroy people in the process in the, with the aim of business growth and profitability. All right. Well, I think you also elucidated the I, we, it concept in that blended metaphor of football. And what I'm hearing is basically the player has responsibility. The game is responsible. The people who are making the game possible and funding it exorbitantly make it possible to operate in the way it does. So everyone is responsible and everyone is also powerful in shaping the experience and shaping what success is, how you yes. win. I hear that. And I really, obviously, given the topic of the podcast, I also believe in the absolute necessity for community for us to thrive. And that's ultimately my goal is what can I do to participate in creating a life where I can thrive and where other people can thrive knowing that it's very likely my definition of thriving might be a little bit different from someone else's and yeah. leaving space enough that there's individual expression and room for that. And more and more in my life, also accepting the chaos piece, which is existence and also relates to something else you study in spiral dynamics and being able to exist, not in a binary world where you have right and wrong and black and white or burnt out, not burnt out even, right? Somewhere in your client is a fully functioning, beautiful, healthy woman. Somewhere in there, even with the burnout. And, and I know when I went through my total effing crash in 2019, the metaphor that stuck with me was I felt like I was a tree that had been struck by lightning and half of the tree was dead. And I just had to accept that there's a part of me that's dead. But the cool thing is there's a whole other part of me that's totally alive. And <clears throat> trees are gorgeous. Life and nature continue to be like one of my, my most um, 
spiritual companions, if you will, to remind me of the chaos and the beauty and the possibility for balance and how everything is interdependent. So yes, while, and I, and I guess I'm listening to a couple of books right now on Audible. One is the Elon Musk biography because I find him intensely fascinating and also intensely scary. Um, I have compassion and I feel intimidated and I feel allured by his uh, being and the way he views the world and the amount of power he seizes. Um, also, I think with very good intention, even though everything has a ripple effect in all ways. The other book I'm listening to is Mark Benioff's uh, Trailblazer. And he does start his experience much like Eckhart Tolle does in The Power of Now, right? You have this crash and burn moment. You have this, my, my heart stopped beating for my work. I don't care anymore, or what's it all for, or what's the purpose, right? And at least at Salesforce, where Mark, you know, leads and what he's created there, their number one cultural value is trust. And trust also depends on relationship. Trust depends on a sense of honesty and integrity. So I know that that's something you and I share here, David, like our interest in upholding integrity, as well as holding space for other people to find their truth. And that's where you and I have been talking as well about the possibility of like, okay, if there could be a community that existed for people who are in power, who have high level decision-making, um, both capacity as well as responsibility and are balancing the neck-breaking pace of change in business and in our world right now, how do we lean into the root system of knowing that at the very least, we are so not alone. We are all doing this together. And like, for me, one of the, the most, and I wanted to ask you this question too about like what, and let's ask everyone listening, like what has sustained you during COVID? Where do you light the candle inside? How do you do that? And for me, one of the, the ways I've done it is through participating in virtual community. And I'm in a 12-step group and I deal with, you know, my shadow in that space, but I also get to hear other people who go through strife and it just leads to the most joyous intimacy and humor and expansion. I also participate in a group that my friend Chelsea and a podcast guest leads called Eredita Circle and Symposia, and she brings women creatives together. And simply the only structure for that is a few beautiful questions and you just listen to a group answer them. And the amount of nourishment that I receive simply by being present to hearing someone like you share about your experience, right? Like just listening. It, and Native American culture, you call it a medicine wheel because everyone is, is giving medicine and you're receiving the medicine tenfold because you're listening to other people in the space. And all of a sudden, I wonder if going back to the doing yoga on a plane falling from the sky, suddenly by continuing to do yoga, especially if you looked around and you noticed everyone else was doing yoga too, maybe you realize you're not a plane and it's not falling. You're flying and you're on earth. Or like there's something about a shift in consciousness here too. Um, so I'm going to stop there and ask in your, I mean, 
with what we've talked about, David, what do you think the biggest benefit or need is for this, like, I don't even know what the question would be here. I'm going to just stop talking. Did you want to respond to anything that I said? Right. Yes. Yeah. I'd like to respond to a lot of things you said. Uh, so let, let me start and uh, feel free to jump in and, and direct me or course correct me if uh, I'm not getting to all the, the key points, but you know, you raised so many great ideas and topics there in, in, in what you just shared. Uh, so a few things immediately come to mind. Uh, there, there's a figure of speech and people who do change work. Uh, and, and that is that folks change when they see the light or feel the heat. Uh, what one or the other, you know, tends to be people's journey. And when I was younger, I used to think that, uh, oh, well, if I just, you know, or people have, uh, you know, an inspiring enough message or, you know, feel the, the warmth and, and, and love and, and, and generosity of, you know, what could come from a, a better ideal future they'd make. No, I pretty much figured out that 90% of people change when they feel the heat, and if if not more than 90%. So I, I think there's just some reality to that that I've come to accept in my life of working with people. I mean, and as, as high-minded uh, and progressive as I like to think of myself, no, I usually make substantial changes when I no longer have a choice and not just because I have some, you know, glowing, amazing, you know, inspiring, uh, uh, you know, sometimes that works, but usually it's not. So I think part though of what we need to just acknowledge is it's really hot right now for most people in yeah. one form or another. Yeah. It is, yeah. the temperature is up yeah. and it's time to make significant change. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I was a student uh, abroad my junior year, and this was just, I'm going to date myself, immediately after the Cold War, I'm in Eastern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe, and I remember the way America was viewed at that point, I felt like some sort of, you know, kind of hero on tour of the world, and those days are over. So I know this is not just to a U.S. audience, but uh, but but uh, the the standing of America in the world, the sustainability of American success is in question and hanging in the yeah. balance. And the broader world order is very concerning uh, on a number of levels. So I just think like we need to wake up and we need to see that whether it's about the environment or about personal freedoms or you know, democratic uh, governance, like these, there's not a future that is guaranteed to go uh, the way that maybe many of us thought it would. So we need to wake up and see this. Another piece that I want to call out is spiral dynamics, which you talked about. Spiral dynamics can get so wonky and esoteric. It's really hard to uh, kind of discuss without illustrations and, and, and all of that. But, but, but essentially, I would say that Spiral Dynamics is a body of work, heavily researched and, and written about, that I think is, it can be very useful. And, and for purposes of this conversation, here's what I would say. Over time, and at least if we, we look at our culture, uh, you know, sort of mainstream American culture, you, you can map certain cultural values that have had primacy over times. And you can look at, at moments where American culture was very focused on the collective and on being together and on, you know, 
dealing with the Great Depression and battling, you know, the Axis powers in the Second World War. And there was a sense of banding together and doing something with with so so really conformity and togetherness was in vogue and then there there were shifts to uh more individualistic and expressive needs and and much more of a value on on uh, achieving individual potential and then there have been times where it shifted to egalitarianism and a sense of fairness in society and you know diversity equity and inclusion comes from that work and so there just are times where those shift and sway and what a lot of very intelligent people who study this are concluding is that we are on the edge of the precipice of leaving that singular focus era where we can say that our culture is defined by togetherness or our culture is defined by individual focus and we're moving into what those individuals would call a second tier which would be more of an integral tier so that idea is that there's nuance there are different values or needs for different groups who operate and that we cannot view the world in such binary either or terms. So I'm going to just commit another taboo here and I'm going to talk about uh, diversity, equity and inclusion using this sort of approach. Yeah. There have been times in my lifetime where it seems that the focus has been almost entirely on helping a group who's not not privileged or disadvantaged move up and create new accelerated opportunities affirmative action you know these sorts of programs and, and are then you saying there, this is like a type of client that you were working with in the past or no, no just just being alive just being okay. around you know okay. and paying attention to priorities in society and then there have been times where the shift has been to, hey, equal opportunity, everyone's got a sh shot, manage your own life and experience and focus yeah. on your personal choices. And so I hear people, I, I hear from people on all sides of, of uh, these sorts of discussions uh, all the time. And I'm left thinking, how could we be in a situation where the 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 solution to this is all about you know focusing on inequities in the past and uh and 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 giving people new opportunities you know in their current situation but we don't look then at what the individual choice is going to be and what successful behaviors and decisions in the moment are going to be and then there are times where i hear from folks who say, well, look, I'm trying to do what I, I'm trying to be colorblind. I'm trying to give everyone equal access to every, and now that's wrong. And people get twisted in these rhetorical knots about trying to understand how they're supposed to treat people who have a different background, different ethnicity, different race, because it's so confusing to figure out the rules of the road and what's permittable to talk about and what isn't. And I just know, like, 
you and I live in a very vibrant community here. I think Los Angeles County is the most diverse county in the U.S. And if it's not the most, it's close. And we're confronted on a daily basis uh, by people who are very different and look different and act different and speak different languages. And you know, I, I happen to love it. But but part of the reason I love it is I'm exposed to it all the time. There are large swaths of people in America who don't have that level of exposure. And I'm not sure how they're supposed to figure out what the right term to use is and right so yeah just the final point and then i'll hand it back to you is there is no single solution to that that's a, all about the individual or all about the collective we have to be integral in our approach i want to treat everybody around me with dignity and fairness and i also at the same time feel it's appropriate to have expectations of people to show up and act a certain way mm-hmm. i don't think it's all about one thing i i think that i can treat people equally and i think some people have a harder go at it than i do mm-hmm. and those two things can live together in the same set of experiences in the same world I think I have friends of mine who I expect to be good people. I expect to treat me a certain way. And then I also understand that it's different when they go to buy groceries than when I go to buy groceries. Mm -hmm. There's a nuance, a subtlety in there that exists. And I can pretend it doesn't, but I'm not sure I'm doing myself or anyone else any good by doing that. Mm Yep, yep. Oh, well, without getting too far off into the discourse of what it really looks like to integrate, because that would be, I, I would do an offsite on that just for fun. <laughs> um, what, I, what I'm paying attention to right now and in the essence of time, because I know, again, like as I'm listening to you and as I'm listening to everything that we're trying to synthesize today, we're just inundated with information. We're inundated with expectation as well for what we're supposed to know, whether that's the news uh, or the latest, uh, I would say, terminology and vocabulary for discussing certain social issues that are so timely and so necessary. So the integration piece for me, if there's one thing I'm going to say and like give an example for, how do I integrate in my day and how do I support my clients living with integration? There's just a lot of that like very, very, very basic yes and stuff we've heard about from improv training. There's this play mindset. And and frankly, that's one of the gifts. There are a couple of things I've taken from this time with COVID. One is I've come back to my family home and I'm reuniting with family and my roots and that's incredible. Two, I am having an adolescence I never had. I'm like feeling so safe in a way in this container and in my own little space that I'm letting myself take me a whole lot less seriously while I continue to build a thriving business. So I wanna offer that as a possible template too to people listening that even as the plane is falling from the sky, even as we deal with our own personal struggle around purpose or meaning or how to shape our work between you know getting yoga in while we're on our we're our zoom call marathon or whatever we're doing for work that play mentality and like yes and 
okay, yeah, I'm tired and I'm gonna get this done. And then I'm gonna do some yoga and then I'm gonna watch Netflix, you know, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna feel really, really sad and I'm gonna show up and feed my kids. I'm gonna feel just the whole messy reality. I kind of think of life right now as like a dysfunctional step family in the same house. You gotta just let everybody in. Everyone's got their damn issues. And I grew up in that. Frankly, I don't have to imagine anything. I lived in a step family with two sisters who were so wonderful and couldn't be more opposite. And you gotta make room for the bipolar and the fucking cheerleader head president of the school in the same house. You gotta make room for the drug addict and the police being called and the parents fighting and the, and the fact that we have counsel and we sit around the table and we enjoy each other and we love each other. And that's life. And I think one of the most painful realities is as we get smarter, more informed, more evolved in some ways, especially on the West, and I do, I love what you said about Los Angeles, there's so much emphasis on this isolation. And like even the Zoom groups I, groups I am a part of are so tailored to a particular way of thinking and a particular way of acting that I could like live on my own um, perfectly curated island of thought thinking that this is how the rest of the world is and especially now we add ai advertisings and all i see is the news i want to see and all i get sold is the shit that they already know i want to be sold i could just keep zooming in and in and in and in and in and in until i'm in this hyper reduced narrow existence of everything i thought i liked i had a point about that there was something about like needing to integration, stay open, shit, play, that we need a space where we can exist and coexist even with ourselves. Like you were talking, David, about that me or that I and the we. It's like the, the more compassion and love and humor I can bring to myself. And simply that word love, I know might sound cliche and like super Beatles and 60s and whatever, but it's just the most powerful thing there is. Like, come on, if you don't know that, like, let's call me, let's talk. But love is the shit. And if we can just give so much love to ourselves the best that we can, we can radiate that out. And at least this whole crazy falling plane feeling can turn a little more into a dance party instead of like, don't bother me, I'm on my, I'm on my yoga mat and I'm trying to stay centered here. You know, like let's, let's be in now. Easy for me to say, and I'll just interrupt myself on that very briefly, privilege. I am extremely privileged. I have all the food I need. I have all the money I absolutely need. I can pay my rent. I don't have children to support. My brain is in a stable place and it wasn't two years ago. It really wasn't. So I know that there are levels of needs and Maslow's pyramid is being met in a very, important way that allows me to say let's party because there was a time where if someone said have fun I would have been a little violent in my reaction to that so yep. I just want to recognize that yeah we're all on different parts of this spectrum but we're doing it together okay I have to stop talking because this got yeah. so exciting yeah the the yeah. opportunity we're facing right now I believe because we've talked a lot about the problem right there's overwhelm there's so much information to process there's 
evolving into this integrated new space, but really that's just highly uncomfortable because the rule book is nowhere to be found. Yep. And we need to be doing it while supporting ourselves, supporting a family, leading a business, and somehow participating in restructuring our governance. You know, that's, that's a pretty heavy load. So a lot of problems. What's the opportunity, David? What is our opportunity and or solution here in a tangible way? Because I'm obviously not getting us there. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I appreciate everything you said and all your enthusiasm. And I think, you know, your comment about privilege, back to what I was saying a few minutes ago, uh, with a more of an integral view is, yes, and as well, like your privilege, I'm privileged, plenty of people I know are, some I know aren't. That's the world we live in. We could argue about who's privileged or not, or we could just say with whatever position I'm in, I'm going to make a decision to do something constructive with it. So, right. So Hallelujah. right now, as, as a culture, we are arguing about definitions while the plane's going down. Right. And, and it's just bizarre and crazy. You know, I, so I could go on and on. I'll, I'll, I'll stop right there on that topic. But I will say that essentially all this is a choice. It's so easy to think that what we're experiencing right now is not choice-based because most of us don't see the choice that we have. We, 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 can, we can continue to bump along. And by the way, doing nothing is a choice, right? Just sort of existing and taking one day to the next and shrugging your shoulders and saying, I can't believe somebody said what they said, or I can't believe you know, the way the way the system works is so messed up. That's a choice to do nothing and to be apathetic. So we I think we need to wake up to our choices and to recognize that someone could, you know, get in the cockpit and 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 you know safely land the plane here. That is absolutely possible. When I look at more specifically what needs to happen, I look at uh, on the in the I dimension, intentionality. That is a huge thing that most people struggle to come to terms with and identify. Um, even my client I was talking about before could quit, right? That's something we talked about, right? Like we're obviously talking about like, should you continue to work here, right? Because if she's gonna be in a position of working 20 hours a day and feeling miserable and disconnected from family, well, that's not the only story that she could write. She could write a different story. Uh, after the election in 2016, I got off social media, the whole thing for about a year and a half. That was a choice. I could choose to get out of the addiction loop of outrage. Yeah. And yeah. I did. And guess yeah. what? My blood pressure went down and probably <laughs> a couple of years to my life. Okay. Wow. We all need to be intentional with how we spend our time and how we invest our money and how we, uh, build the world that we want to live in we have the 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 choice in front of us and the intentionality to move forward when i think of we i think of this need for belonging it is outrageous i don't know if uh, many of the people out there uh have have ever uh read or, or listened to the audio book of uh lost connections uh it's a, a book that has had a, a big impact on me uh, and the author references this longitudinal study of, uh, of the number of Americans uh, uh, or in the, the number of people that Americans could reach out to in a time of crisis or a time of need. And I believe in the early 60s, the average person had five people uh, to reach out and talk to in a moment of need. 
And in the latest study, I would say probably, you know, mid 2010s, uh, the number is zero. The average American has nobody to reach out to in a time of need. Um, and, and online communities, as much as I do enjoy them in my own way, I do not think are real. And I believe that if, if people do not sense of belonging to a collective, a tribe or a community or something bigger, uh, it is it causes manifest harm and injury to the individual. And I think there is a sense of detachment and dislocation for a lot of people on the planet, not just in this country, that is very debilitating and damaging. Can I, can I just clarify one thing before you, you take us to the it? And frankly, I think that this is just brilliant. I, I couldn't agree more with the power of intentionality for the I piece, as well as understanding that there are options, you have choices. And then yes, belonging. Um, you're speaking straight to someone who, who just felt it so viscerally. I went through that crash by myself in Paris in a tiny box right before lockdown. And by box, I mean apartment. And I was reading a book that my sister's uh, mother had sent me by Tokopa called Belonging. And I was just drinking it like water and, and feeling, you know, it, it was amazing. And I'm talking, I am a community builder. So I'm, I just want to like underscore how powerful that even for someone who naturally creates connection and I had circles with women there and I had friends, even with all of the infrastructure and energy I'd put into that, I did work remotely and I was no longer with my partner. And all of a sudden, it was so hard for me to see humans in the flesh in a way where I felt comfortable being vulnerable and safe and held. And when you do go through difficulty, that is just, it's beyond, it's beyond important. And so what I wanted to ask you, David, is when you say you believe online communities aren't real, do you mean what you find on social media? Do you also mean Zoom meetings with teams? Is this make-believe? Do, do we not experience connection? Or are you saying that we must abandon virtual you know, connection and just be in person? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the clarification. No, I, I don't mean that, uh, like, you know, I'm in a community right now in my company where we exclusively interact uh, with Zoom and it's very rich and meaningful. I'm thinking more of, kind of passive communities where I'm joining a group on a social media platform. Uh, and on the group, people are posting things that represent their day. That's not a meaningful connection. Right. In right. Uh, you know, the, the social media world of, of displaying what you, what you want to display and hiding the rest is yes. not a full connection with another human being. Uh, it's a, it's a, a, a pageant. Yes. Yes. You know, it's, and, and so having online pageants is not community. Right. right. There, w w there's no depth, nuance, texture to those relationships. And so, that's important. People need to be real, need to be vulnerable, and need to you know, be able to fully express themselves and engage and, and be witnessed and seen for who they are, not just for the two or three things that they'd like the world to think about them. Absolutely. I, I'm forgetting who said this, but it's something about a community isn't formed until members of that community share some part of their brokenness. That it really is, it's like you have to be a puzzle piece with missing 
if you're just a straight edge and everything just slips right by each other, we connect because there are missing pieces that we fill for each other and we must reveal and, and that it's, it's missing for a reason. It's not like a mistake. Leonard Cohen has a great song about that. Um, what about it? What about it? Incentives. Right now, the main incentives are to destroy the planet and destroy people. The more you do that, the more money you make. And, you know, it sounds it sounds shocking, I think, to hear it that way. But I, I would love to hear somebody actually refute that. I mean, you get if, if you decide to drill into the planet and extract resources and to burn slash, you know, you get government subsidies. You know, if you're an organization yeah. that works people to the their physical and mental and emotional breaking point, you get rewarded with investment yeah so our incentives are driving self-destruction at this point and we if we don't change those incentives don't expect people to make fundamental changes because they're not going to feel much heat this is honestly so synthesized i love it the the solution around intentionality belonging and incentives i will sit with and I wanted to ask, yeah, or one one quick call out is that with with the case, going back to your client and that original story of like, okay, how how does someone in the position of feeling really already burnt out, already listless, how do you approach using those three things? Well, one piece is like, yeah, what is your intention? Do you do you want to continue feeling this way or not? And if not, how do you want to feel? And yesterday I'm in a coaching program um, with this woman, Tara Moore, and we were talking about fear, different types of fear, and how do we get out of fear so that we can actually be wise? Because when we're in our fear, we're not wise, we're not creative, we're not in a place where we can create solution. So one of the portals into shifting out of fear is the simple ask of intention of how do I want to feel and hold that word. So if I want to feel curious, I just hold the word curious. If I want to feel safe, I hold the word safe. And I like deepen into that. Then that opens up, okay, now what are my options? And the options can be changing the what, the job, the structure, my routine, my boundaries, those that can be changed, or the how. Your client might even potentially have the option of continuing to work exactly as she is, but with a slight change of mind, or I'm going to make sure that for every call I have, I have a cup of tea and I take 30 deep breaths, slow and steady, you know, and suddenly you're not changing anything in the what you're just shifting how you're moving through the current shape. And I think all of us could benefit from that, especially in this sort of amorphous PTSD of moving through a pandemic and so much change. It's like, how can we work with our nervous system in a way that helps us adapt with ease? So, and then, yes, I think from the incentives call out, it really, to me, shows that you and I come from an organizational land of thinking like, you know, we need to just change the HR approach here, the human resources approach in our country, in our state, in our, in our planet of like, what you recognize and reward wins within an organization. And that is the culture, essentially. What you water grows. So yeah, 
where's our where's our water? What are we choosing to water? What are we choosing to shine sunlight on to keep growing? And I'm with you, I think very simply, um, yeah, not continuing to use fossil fuels is important and other such nitty gritty, tangible, values-based, longevity, considering sustainable choices that will mean inconvenience and we can deal with inconvenience. That's, we know how to do that. So let's do that. So David, in terms of belonging, I think the last word here is, do you wanna say anything before we conclude about how people might feel belonging and the possibility of an idea of creating space where such people and leadership and uh, creatives and parents and people could gather um, I don't know, do we want to just say that that's a possibility in our mind? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think that belonging, uh, you know, is very underrated. Uh, I, I grew up in a uh, household that was very secular by, uh, by American standards. And I uh, missed a lot of uh, what it feels like to be a part of a community of a values-based community. Now, I'm happy I didn't have some aspects of it and, and elements of it compared to some people I know, but I did learn in my early adult years that I need to be a part of something bigger than myself. And I've actively sought out those sorts of communities educationally, spiritually, uh, professionally. And, and I think that served me very uh, well. And I think that uh, people can... Um, now, obviously, we're dealing with some limitations here with, with COVID, but people can identify and explore that in their own way. And I also think there's a, a big opportunity for people like us who are doing very active and intentional work in this space to create these pods and, and these, uh, the, these uh, groups for uh, folks who are looking to really make conscious and intentional shift in their life and their perspective and the results that they're getting and to align themselves with other people who have a similar view of the world and to form these, these groups. And so I, I think that's something that I'm excited about uh, that I think can, can serve my need uh, to be in relationship with others, can serve others' needs and, and, ide and uh, ideally get enough high profile uh, and meaningful decision makers to rewrite some of these rules and shift the incentive structures that we have in place away from harm and, and towards uh, sustainability. I love it. David, thank you so much for your time, your thoughts, your sharing your experience, your enthusiasm and passion for this work. I, I loved it. And I hope people just took away a, a shred of what I'm taking away from this. So thank you. Have a great rest of your day. I know you've got calls starting yourself and continuing to work. Um, thank you. Great to be with you, Rose. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on Path and Purpose. Before you go, is there something you want to take with you? Perhaps a story that sparked a new thought or feeling for how you want to live closer to what matters most? Add your voice to the circle by leaving a note in the comments, and we hope you'll continue walking the path with us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube for stories from future guests about making meaning in this emerging world. Until then, let's be safe and have fun. <laughs>